Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Essentially, what, what, makes it, what makes a person saved? And <clears throat> let's be fair, we'll, we'll talk about the gospel in a minute, but we can boil it down to our way or Christ's way. Isn't that it? And if we really look down our way or Christ's way and then look in terms of church discipline or any other issue, uh, we just simply say, oh, yeah, it's not my way. Um, I loved last week's text of Scripture. To be fair with you, I was jealous that, that Kevin had to preach it um, because it, it just simply talks about that, that wonderful, blessed sense of trust that a child has in our lives. Um, I can go back, and again, I like using illustrations that I lived. You know, I can pull off historic ones every once in a while, but I like the ones that I lived. My daughter was four years old, and every year she would go down and, do, and, and join with Kathy because I couldn't comb her hair uh, during tax season. So she would go with her, and I would take uh, the rest of the family. Mike, he was easy. Butch haircuts are really easy to handle, you know? So Katie goes down, and she's, she's four years old, and my my friend, Kathy's boss, Jim Rickard, loved to tease children, just loved to be in their lives. So he's buying an ice cream cone for Katie. Katie wanted chocolate. He got a vanilla cone, and before Katie could realize it, he put it behind his back. He, she, she then had a chocolate cone, and he says, Katie, give me your chocolate cone, and I'll turn it into a vanilla cone. Wide-eyed, she just couldn't believe that someone could do that kind of alchemy. So she took and gave that, that chocolate cone to Jim. He took it around his back, said abracadabra, pulled around his vanilla cone, and her eyes are wide with excitement. He would turn it around, come back around, her chocolate cone would suddenly appear wide with excitement. She couldn't believe it. She then, he then hands the chocolate cone back to her and didn't, didn't show around, but she looked up and thinking she could do that same thing, she turns her cone around, putting it behind her back, not realizing that there was a woman with white pants right behind her, jamming her chocolate cone right into the woman's white pants. You know, you can look down and go, well, that child just so naive. That child just hasn't had life experiences. That child uh, just, just hasn't been raised by a family to know those kinds of things. But at the bottom of the line, the bottom and the core, a little kid is going to trust the people he loves or she loves. And they're going to give them absolute loyalty. And so Jesus uses that expression last week. Now today we're going to come to just the very opposite. We're going to look at the rich, young ruler. All right? All three of those words, as they are tied together, they almost stand for 
cynicism, rebellion, and doing it my way, doesn't it? Rich people typically don't want it any other way but theirs. Young people don't want it any way but theirs. Rulers don't want it any way but theirs. And he happens to be all three. And so we're going to enter into that picture this morning. And if you will, come with me to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. And again, I want you to interact with me this morning. So I want you to be watching it within your own text of Scripture, whether phone or Bible. And, and listen, if you will, as I begin reading in verse 17. We'll read to verse 23 at this moment. But I want you to see, how is a person saved? Human effort or allegiance to Christ? And you're going to see three small vignettes, and we've divided them up, three small stories. And I don't know why uh, in Mark, Mark seems to just create almost three little couplets that go together, three little, three little stories that go together. And I want you to see that ultimately this is not about rich or young or ruler. But what are you willing to put your absolute trust in? So notice and follow along as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, he, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother, your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened, by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Family, I, I want you to understand as we begin the, the journey of unpacking this little section, I want you to forget one key idea. This has nothing to do with money. All right? This has nothing to do with money. And if, if you miss that, you, you miss ultimately uh, the core of the teaching. Billy Graham said about this story, he said, the, the young man came with the right question to the right man and received the right answer, but he made the wrong decision. You see, the rich young ruler here is just the opposite of the children Jesus has just praised. So tying them together is an important reality. His wealth and his status are a liability for him to gain eternal life. And ultimately, I want you to see that the man's focus is to gain eternal life by his own merit. He wanted to do it by himself. He wanted to get to, he wanted to, get to heaven on his own merit. His focus is on a, his personal spiritual journey. It's about what he did, uh, what he could do, and what he will do. 
And I want you to understand that, that that's really opposed to the flavor of all of the Old Testament. Family, I, I, wanna, I want you to walk with me for a moment. One of the, 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 the sticking points of what it meant to be a Jew in the Old Testament leading up to the very time of Christ was the Ten Commandments themselves. You see, God never expected the Ten Commandments to be something that they rigidly held to as if that was the only thing that mattered. God wanted a relationship with them first. With them first. And so he called them by a wonderful expression, my people. And then he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And, and I want you to understand what an, an incredible expression that is. Now, I, I want you to understand, how can I explain it to you? I can't explain to you anything better than a marriage, all right? If I go into any one of your homes and you say, Pete, can you wash the dishes for me? You got a 50-50 chance, okay? You got a 50-50 chance. Understand, my, my wife is already looking down, but if, I, if she says, honey, would you help me wash the dishes? There's a likelihood, strong likelihood, that when she looks up, bats her eyes and says, honey, would you help me wash the dishes? You see, I'm her people. And she's my goddess. Of course I'm gonna. Of course I'm gonna. But there's a different relationship here, all right? She's, she's mine, and I'm hers. And, and any, any commandments that exist between us, man, they're just, they're just part of who I am to, to, to please her and vice versa. And it, and it works that way. And that's exactly what God wanted all the time. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You see, it wasn't about the ten. The ten were just an expression of love loyalty. They became profoundly important so that the Jews themselves would know the standard by which God was living out his character in front of them in purity and holiness and righteousness. You see, family, that's the God that Job could trust. All his wealth is taken away. Ten children died at one flash moment. His wife said, curse God and die. He says, don't be stupid. God brings good, God brings evil. I'll bless his name. See, life doesn't have real strong answers sometimes. Life, life leaves us with question marks. But God looks down and says, just trust me right now. Trust me. I'm your God and you're my people. And family, that, that principle is, is missed. The dynamic is gone. And now we've reduced it down to, I, I'm going to obey God. That, that relationship has been destroyed Solomon called it the fear of the Lord. And we can think of fear as, as something I am radically afraid of, like the boogeyman, all right? 
You don't go into bed because you heard something underneath the bed and you're just sure that the boogeyman is underneath there. All right? That's one kind of fear. And unfortunately, some of you who know Christ as your Savior, you live with God being the boogeyman. That's, that's not the fear of the Lord that He has for you and I who know and have a relationship with God. The fear of the Lord is a deep respect based on an understanding of who God is and, and what God's doing to and with me personally. Uh, it, it is a reaction of reverence and, and, and wonder. My God is incredible. He did that. And you fill in the blank of that. See, but the rich young ruler, he wanted to be assured that he had the necessary ability to stay on the right track. He was going to check mark his life until he arrived safely to heaven. It is based completely on self-sufficiency. And he knew that Jesus had the affirmation he needed. And family, we know that. That's, that's what makes this moment and, and this story, this vignette, so terrible. As it unfolds, I want you to see the man was excited to meet Jesus. We're, he's called the rich young ruler in Matthew and Luke. But yet, he runs to Jesus and bows down before him. Profound respect. And then he says, you're the good teacher. And family, I want to suggest to you in saying you're the good teacher, the rich young ruler may have been at least recognizing the potential that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And the reason that I suggest that to you is no rabbi would ever accept the title good. No one was allowed to call their teachers good because a Jewish rabbi would have always thought that that had the potential of being blasphemous, recognizing in good a holiness, a standard of behavior that was far above them and they would not accept it. And we only find in very rare moments any sort of acclamation that says that a, a, a teacher of the law was ever considered good. It never, never occurred. Jesus wants a relationship with this man. Notice if you said, he even says that he gives a vibe off that he loved this ruler. And so the text of Scripture even tells us Mark is writing 30 years after the fact, and with the aid of the Holy Spirit, and we believe some of the storytelling, the reflections of Peter himself, that Peter's sharing this day, and Peter's looking back 30 years into the past, and he still recognizes, his mind still reverberates with this loving vibe that, Peter, or that Jesus had to the rich young ruler. And I want you to know, outside of John, when John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, this is it. This is it, the only one. 
Now, I don't want to ever suggest to you that in any way that, that he didn't love us all. John 3.16 says, for God so love, same word, same identity, same everything. The world is an individual expression based on his loving holiness to all of us. But yet at the same time, there was a created dynamic that Peter recognized was really quite different than, than, than just the average moment in time. And Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. In all of the Gospels, we have one other time where it wasn't successful. So, really what we're seeing here is, in this follow me, Jesus is asking, listen, be allegiant. Have your allegiance be mine. Have your, have your priorities be mine. Do what I tell you to do, not, not exist in what you want. And, and ultimately, Christ wants priority. So Jesus Christ is, is, is offering the man an incredible opportunity. And, and so I don't want you to miss the, the second idea is, is this, this cost he's expressing. He isn't saying become impoverished to be my disciple. I want you to hear that and hear it well. You see, there's been other rich people that have followed Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea is considered a follower of God. Joseph of Arimathea was never told to give up his wealth to follow. We have, we have in the character of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was waiting for Jesus to come, and before Jesus even asked, he says, I'll give up half. I'll give up anything if I've defrauded anybody. I want to be on your team. I want to be in, under your care and your life. You see, money in and of itself is not the issue. We have a character in the, in the book of Acts by the name of Barnabas, the son of encouragement. He says, the Bible tells us he sold a field. I want you to understand what it doesn't say. It doesn't say he gave up all his wealth. We have no idea what, what Barnabas owned. He could have owned two fields. He could have owned ten fields. The issue is not the fields. The issue is the hard attitude that I'll, say, I'll, give, I'll give God anything he needs. I'll give God anything that, that shows my allegiance to him, my, my, my walk with him. And so this isn't an issue of money. This is an issue of allegiance. The rich man went away, unable to realign his life under the demands of a Savior who loved him. And so family, he'd rather have human effort than allegiance to Jesus Christ. And now, for those of us who come to church each and every Sunday, I think it's important for us to ask whether we see Christ as our supreme love. I believe that that to be important in this time as much as any other time in, in my life growing. We're, we're coming out of COVID. It's been easy to be isolated. We've been told to be isolated. Uh, it's been easy to sit around and, and maybe even read Scripture every once in a while. Um, but it, it's been hard to live life and represent God um, it's, it's easy right now in, in some ways. And I believe that there are times when love for him needs to be refreshed 
or restored. Salvation is not just obedience to the rules. It is a love for a Savior who loved us so much that he died for the privilege of us being restored to the Father. And so, family, never forget that, that against all of this evaluation, we have others in Scripture that have done so, and they had to evaluate their own lives. Revelation reminds us of the church of Ephesus. You did everything right. When I look at your checklist, boy, you're doing everything right. You hate everything I hate. You love everything I love. But you don't love me. But you don't love me. And the question that you and I as believers need to ask when we see the rich young ruler, when we read this, do we have an allegiance to Jesus Christ where we'd set aside everything that we had in life to walk with him? Could we say, I want to follow you so badly, I will give it all up. I give it all away. I want you. And so we need to be reminded that it's not about simply going through the motions, but there's a deep allegiance to our Savior Jesus Christ. I want you to notice in this second short story, this second vignette, what makes a person saved? A human effort or allegiance to Christ is first, second, and since it's not coming up on the screen, I'll come back to my notes and read it to you. What makes a person saved? Achievement or mercy? So follow along. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have, been, who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible with God. You see, Mark now shifts from talking to and about the rich young ruler, to turning around. And if you will, imagine with me. Uh, Jesus is, is here with his disciples, and they may have formed a, a little semicircle, and they're watching the rich young ruler walk away, and he, he, now, he now disappears at some, some distance. And Jesus just simply does this. He now turns. Now, he's not talking about the rich young ruler. He's talking to the disciples. And they're going to begin questioning him. The issue that causes stumbling for some following Christ is often the same stumbling issues for those of us who follow Christ. And wealth is one of those. Family, when you, when you really break down uh, why people don't follow Christ, can't you really break it down to just a couple of issues? People won't follow Christ because of, of family connections. I can remember years ago, my father had, had led a guy to the Lord on, a golf, on the golf course. 
And they had a great connection through hole 18. And then a day or two later, the man comes back and he says, Glenn, um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to follow Jesus Christ as my Savior. My parents are so strong that I continue to support the family in the way that I am, that they see it as a real break in our relationship. I can't do it. Family is one of the reasons that we don't follow Christ. And, and we're warned that in time that there will be issues when father and, and mother will go against children and children will go against parents and it'll be over the issue of Christ. That's one of the, right, the reasons. Family, um, what we have in this life, uh, long life, good life, is another reason we're afraid that it might cost us something. Wealth is one of those issues. But it also is one of the great traps to Christianity. And, and it does not take a lot of explanation from me to give that to you today. Wealth is, is a difficult thing. It is often misunderstood as a sign of God's loving care. And there are many preachers today who are going to teach their church family that if they love God, God's going to bless them. And God's going to bless them with wealth. That certainly was true in Christ's day. Family, I want you to understand, most of the Jewish teachers of this time in any community were wealthy men. The priesthood lived in luxury. Archaeology in the, in the 70s actually un, uncovered a, a large area of what would have been Jerusalem at that time in history. And as they, as they dug out, they found that the homes that they were in were actually the homes of the priests. And within these homes are incredibly detailed mosaics here on the ground. What, uh, they're carpeting, done by craftsmen, hand, hand put in, that reflected a, an opulent lifestyle. They got their income from the wealth of the temple. So the teachers of the law are wealthy. The priests who now take the very sacrifices that the people come in are fabulously wealthy. Finally, Jesus even tells the Pharisees, the other key group, and identifies them as lovers of money. Money's a tripping point. The average Jewish peasant struggled to survive. Money then represents the achievement and the seeming God, uh, seemingly God's blessing for what we're doing in life. So when Jesus tells the disciples that it is harder for a rich man to enter heaven than a camel to walk through the, through the needle's eye, they are stunned because it's the wealthy people who are also the most God-identifying people in the community. Family, they're the ones. When they look, it is the God-serious Pharisees. It is the God-serious priests. It is the God-serious teachers. And now the disciples are being told they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I also want to tell you something this morning. I've heard way too many sermons on what the eye of the needle is and what the camel walking through it is. All right? We're not going to waste our time. I just want to assure you this. 
it's pretty tough for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Okay? So we got that part out of the way. So as we come to this, I want you to understand these are all their examples, and all of their examples are rich people. All right? Years ago, I'm, the, I'm a young pastor at a, at, a, at a young, growing church, the Community Bible Church, and a person wanted to get married here, and they would not adhere, they would not obey some of the standards that God would have for them morally, and, and I said, well, they can't do it. And they said, well, we'll bypass you, we'll go to the elders. I said, oh, okay. So I gave them to Ed Elson. And those of you who know historically Ed Elson, uh, not a rich man, all right? Simple farmer, loved what he did in life. And Ed called up and said, you know, I'm sorry, but you can't, you can't get married in our church. And the lambasting that just now came out, oh, I know you elders. You're all just a bunch of rich people who can d determine right and wrong for us. And you just sit on your high posts and lead the church in your wealth and your status. And I'm looking over as this woman is just pouring out venom on poor Ed Elson. And just thinking, poor Ed Elson, who gave me peaches or <laughs> raspberries the day before, is now sitting here being vilified by this lady as a rich person. And often, family, forgive me, but you all identified as the rich people in this community. And many struggle and look at, at us and say, wow, they have everything. I could never measure up. You see, that's why the disciples could ask, then who can be saved? If rich people can't get saved, then who can be saved? That's why verse 27 becomes so important to us. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. God makes the way of salvation. And so family, it doesn't take it doesn't take brains to really walk through wisely at this moment. The God who said let there be and brought the earth into existence simply by his command who brought sun, moon and stars, who brought earth and all of its beauty who brought all, every animal that, ha that has and breathes oxygen, who created the fish of the sea, if he brought them in by his words alone, please understand that God can either make the largest needle that you've ever seen or the smallest camel you'll ever know. You see, the issue is not our status. The issue is not our achievement. The issue is not anything that we hold precious. The issue is the mercy of the loving God. And as we look next week, we're going to see this is important to him. He strategically is walking to Jerusalem. And though he has not 
fully unpacked what it means to identify with him in salvation through his work on the cross, his, his death for us, the fact that he paid the price for our sins, that, that he will declare it is finished and then rise triumphant three days later. He's just given them the bare bones details. That is sufficient for them. They say, we trust Jesus. That's all we want. The disciples were about to see God's plan. Christ was about to show them what mercy really looked like. You and I know the rest of the story. And again, as, as we come together today to worship, are, are any of us really proud of what we're doing for the Lord? And, and, and is that pride something that would ever, ever diminish the mercy of a Savior who died on the cross for our sins? Let's look at this last. Notice, if you will, what is the value of salvation? Rewards or Christ? So, we close. Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and follow you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or, or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life? But many who are first will be last and the last first. Family, this is our third story, and, and I love the fact that it's Peter. Peter's mind is obviously at work, and so is his mouth, and his mouth seems to be on autopilot. He just seems to dig it in. But don't ever condemn him because you and I do the same thing. And the reason I say that is, is how many of you have thought about heaven and asked, what am I going to look like in heaven? How many of you have thought about heaven and said, oh, what is my place prepared for me going to look like? How many of you have gone and thought about heaven and said, oh, what is my rewards going to look like? How many of you have thought about heaven and said, oh, what am I going to be doing for eternity? What, what's that going to be like? How is that going to play itself out? And as you've pondered everything about heaven, the one thing that you never brought up was Jesus Christ. Many of you have even said, when I die, I can't wait to see dot, dot, dot. My wife, my spouse, my friends, whatever it is. And you never brought up Jesus Christ. You and I are no different than Peter. All right? And Peter just cuts to the chase. What's going to be in it for us? What's our cut? The rich people aren't going to be there. We saw that the, the, the rich young ruler, he walked away. He wouldn't give up his, his wealth. We did. What's in it? What's my share? You and I are equally as bad. Family, John Piper said it this way. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all your friends that you've ever had on earth, all the food you ever liked, all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? You see, Jesus make certain that you and I understand that he's the reward. The sacrifice, it's clear. It's not done for reward. It's not done 
so that you and I get to go to heaven and not to hell. The issue of salvation is an eternity in relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, you did it for my sake and the sake of the gospel. And in light of that, he simply says, ah, it'll be rewarded a hundredfold. And first he talks about it here on earth. And we're going to get houses and, and, and families. And, and think for a moment. You're gathered in Jesus' name today with a whole bunch of people. Eddie asked you earlier in the service, is there anybody you know in church? You see, this is, this is the issue here. and This is why we use the term family. Who in here is either not my aunt, not my, not my sister, not my, not my niece, my nephew, my, my brother? You are larger than any family gathering that I could attend if I moved back to Ohio. You are my family. You are my blessing. And then he adds, and persecution. So that you understand this isn't quid pro quo. This is not both and. This is either or. Do you want Jesus? Is he your reward? He will never have part of us. He is so jealous in loving us. He wants it all. And why would any of us today be satisfied with just giving him part of us? So I want to encourage you today. Don't use this as, as your hour of Sunday. Could you use this instead as a moment of personal evaluation? Is Jesus, is, is, is Jesus the, the treasure that I tell people that he is, really? Between my ears, is, is he everything that he should be? If not, consider this your, your moment of church discipline. Consider this your moment of evaluation, your, your moment of honestly asking, is, is Christ who he's supposed to be in relationship to who I'm supposed to be? And, and if you come to the conclusion that, no, I'm not, then I believe that you need to do something about that. M Mike talked about his love that held us on my tree. But then it was love that held me on my knees. Does that really reflect my reverence and my fear of him in light of what he's done for me? Father, I just ask you to be with us. Dear God, we're, the, we're supposed to be the bright representatives of Jesus Christ into a community that's dark. Dear God, is our light over a bucket or is our light on a hill? Father, does our lives reflect our allegiance? Father, if we really asked ourselves, would we give up everything we own to have a relationship with Jesus? Would we answer yes? And would that yes be deeper than just merely tongue-in-cheek? 
To God, I'd ask that you'd watch over us, allow all of us to evaluate our own hearts this morning and ask in light of, of where you've taken us in Scripture, if that's reflective of who we really are and the decision we've really made. Be with us now this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.